0: What do you think about the Laker team now? you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding.
2: That is really a
3: compliment.
0: I
2: was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
1: Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike, and had an eventful day on Thursday. The Lakers stood pat at the trade deadline. There were some rumors, but ultimately no moves were made. Now we turn our attention to the buyout market. And then the Lakers um, played, to me, one of the more frustrating games of the season. Uh,
3: oh, hold up, until Pete, hold they up a sec, mounted Danny Green just hit another three.
1: Just hit another three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there in a sec. Um, I I like that your screen. So every time we record these over, uh, like a video recording type thing, and Mike always puts a a name of a Lakers role player um, in in his uh, for the name. Some and legend- so-
2: Mike has had some legendary names. Some of them are are like your standard ones, right? But like. He jumped in one time and he was Sun Yu. It's just like, ooh, good, good. I like yeah, this one.
1: Yeah, he usually goes for the deep cuts. And yeah. today he is uh, he's Danny Green. Um, yeah, Danny Green hit eight threes against us. And we have a long and protracted how valuable was Danny Green to the championship run argument of which Mike and Darius pretty much just yell at me for not thinking he was as valuable as they do so I'm sure they will uh will continue that today but Lakers attempt to mount a comeback came pretty close and then the Danny Green dagger puts him up by six and uh they dropped that game so take that in whatever direction you guys would like who, who wants to start off by yelling at me about uh Danny Green No, so I actually want to
2: push the Danny Green stuff back a second because I want to actually just get your guys' quick two cents on the aftermath of the trade deadline stuff. Yeah, Because I actually think that this plays into not only some of what we saw last night in the basketball game, but moving forward, which I think is going to be an interesting turn um, or an interesting time. For this Lakers group, Mike, I love having you on the pod for so many reasons, but near the top of that is that you get to talk to these guys every single day. And I think that there's few people as well positioned as you to sort of offer thoughts or opinions, not only on the team as a whole, but just sort of like the general sense of where the players are might be at you see the expression on their faces you hear the tone in their voice and while a lot of this stuff is obviously the players understand that they are in a certain mode a lot right when they're doing interviews or they're doing a tv hit or they're doing a post game or a pre-game zoom the other side of that is is that these guys are humans and i think a part of your job as a good journalist is getting to the root of that sometimes and we've had some offline discussions about some of um the observations that you have and how that informs the way that you do your job and so i think you're really good at this stuff so last night i thought an interesting thing was we can get into the rumors or not get into the rumors either way to me it doesn't matter dennis Schroeder was asked post-game about his long-term want to stay with the lakers and that's been an ongoing discussion i think between him and the media in terms of questions that he's been asked but they took a bit of a different tone yesterday and i think a part of that was just because he was rumored to be in a potential deal that did not happen and so now he's still on the team so take that in any direction you want to go positive negative none of the above i just love to sort of Talk this out a little bit with both of you guys about how much this does or does not matter.
3: I thought that the play of the, the guys that if let's say that there were some of the standard, you know, rumors and discussions that were out there. Right. And the play of the, the guys that was, that were in those, I thought uh, was good and sort of uh, made, made things less. And, and also not even, not even just good, but in Shooter's case, you know, pretty, he always plays the same way. He always plays pretty hard. On both ends, and this is something that, to go back to what we uh, something I discussed earlier in the season that I kind of learned from Billy Donovan, and that even if he wasn't happy with what the whatever it was, playing time, or if he was coming off the bench instead of starting, he always brought it still, and that was one of the things that he appreciated most about him. So I worry less about shooter in that context, and and then the specific comments that he made were a bit more clarifying to him, where though he Dennis seemed to almost be pushing back to. In this sense, I don't know if it's the beat writers or just the, the, those that ask questions, the media, in a sense, by saying, hey, I said all along that I want to be a Laker, but also it has to be the best situation and I have to look around and see what else is out there. Like, I'm a pro. I'm a vet. I've been in this league for a while now. And, and where it seemed like Dennis felt like the comments that he made that got put out the most were just, oh, Schroeder wants to be a Laker. Schroeder will do anything that he can to be a Laker. And so I don't think he his tone may have changed a little bit out of just kind of, hey, guys, look, you're you're don't just focus on that. I like I'm going to look at the situation with my agent and make the best decision. If that's an extension, great. I'd love to say the Lakers. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm a pro. So go ahead, Darius. No.
2: And just to chime in, too, he has consistently used the word fair, like in the last three or four times that this that this question has been raised of him. And this is before even the lead up to the trade trade, trade deadline or in the aftermath of it. He has talked about like, look, I want to stay. I, it also needs to be fair. And, and so please keep going, Mike. But he's, I think he's been trying to add context to this conversation for a while. And the context matters less until he might've been Put into rumors, and now it's the now it's post game availability, and they just lost a game, and the trade deadline passed twelve hours earlier, and so let's talk about this now. And, and players are, I think, can get weary of stuff like that, but but go on, please.
3: Yeah, they. I mean, some can, but I would say the players that get weary of it are more often young players than not, and players that haven't been through the grind before, and. These guys get it. You know, KCP understands it. It's been, when when has he not been in some sort of a trade rumor uh, since he's been with the Lakers? And when has any Laker not been in some sort of a discussion? This is just the NBA. And so I think these guys, for the most part, really do get it now. Kuz is very much a veteran, and we didn't hear his name a lot the last couple days, but he is very much a veteran already of that, and he's one of the Laker young players. So that's just, all of that stuff, I think, had less of an impact on the game and will ha- will not have a big impact going forward. So to me, it's more about just the mix of guys that's on the team. Pete, less so than if anybody had a long day looking at their phone. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to add into that to kick back to you was that it was the best KCP game that we've seen in a while, um, maybe since Milwaukee. And twelve points in the first half, seven in the second half, getting up and down in transition, not hesitating on threes, got to the free throw line a couple times, had three assists. Like that was. That was an encouraging element, and we had just talked a lot about KCP uh, on the last pod, certainly. So that was encouraging, and, and I don't know if those things are tied up in his head at all, but it's kind of as I, as I tried to lay out, I do think that he is one of the guys who, who the circumstances being simple and, and just him knowing what to expect, whether that's from a roster standpoint, him and other guys included, or from a basketball standpoint, is good. And I also thought Marcus All helped him some. Helped him get going, Pete. Just having one guy to kind of actually think about where he was going to get the basketball. So let me kick that to you.
1: Yeah, man. He uh, it, KCP with the, was a breath of fresh air in the Philly game. That's he's there are some you know holes in his skill set. Just as there are in almost every player that will limit him. But he looked like himself, and to me, he looks like a player. I don't like getting too deep into what I think the issues can be with KCP, because I think they're largely uh, like he's in his head, right? He looks to me like a player that's that's second guessing or is not always, I don't want to say mentally engaged, but there is a clear difference between the player we saw last night and the player we've seen much over the last two months. But I'm in no position to be like, oh, well, this is bothering KCP or that is bothering KCP, right? I can comment on what he looks like as a player and when he's locked in the way that he appeared to be last night he's fast he mixes it up i know this is a very like general cliche type of term but he's a guy that on long rebounds for example can track that down and uh what was a missed three that would have been a normally innocuous possession now he's grabbed it or he is filling the lane while shooter grabs it and he's just hauling ass up court and that's kcp at his best he did like i i uh i think I texted you guys like kCP KCP did a a fast person thing, right? And he did a couple of those in the second quarter. and and so if the passage of the trade deadline helps, we'll see if that's a pattern or if that's a a, a one-off. if that helps him rediscover the player that he was. KCP' a really fantastic player um in in doing what he does. And so seeing him look like himself was was just wonderful. With respect to Schroeder,
3: Oh, Pete, is, Dude, Pete, just give me your thought. Do you think Mark was part of that?
1: Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, that's uh, Mark is an organizing force, right? You can run offense through Mark. And right now on a team where we don't have much of that, that's really helpful. I thought he was fantastic in his first shift. I thought the team overall was really bad in that third quarter which was his not his second shift but that was the second big chunk of playing time i think he had like a a three minute shift in the second quarter um because he was on that 15 minute minutes restriction but absolutely mike mark is both a big body and he is uh and he's able you're able to run offense through him and so a lot of the action that they run is mark's got the ball at the top of the key or the elbow and kcp's coming from the corner and he's looping around and it could be a handoff, it could be a cut to the basket, um, but it really puts KCP in positions to do what he does well. Um, with respect to Schroeder, if he thinks he's a $20 million a year player, now and through the end of the season, through the end of the playoffs is the the time to prove that. There are reports that the Lakers are and, and him are, are far apart on extension talks. Who knows? the degree to which that's true. But his market value, now that the trade deadline has passed, um, will be largely determined by how he performs between now and then. And that's not just a, oh, you know, LeBron and AD are out, now's your time to be able to carry a team. But if you're commanding that type of market value, there is an expectation that you are able to do that to some extent, D, right? And then on top of that, there is a long history in the NBA of guys getting paid based off of their playoff performances. And like, like you said, Mike, he's somebody that is going to bring it regardless of uh, his circumstances, regardless of his, you know, playing time, contractual, all of that. He's going to be himself. Darius, what are you looking for from Dennis between now and the conclusion of this season? Cause the circumstances right now are going to be very different knock on wood than when LeBron and AD come back and we're making that playoff push.
2: Oh, man. So, look, Dennis is a really good basketball player. And in the same way, I look at Dennis in a lot of the same ways I look at Trez, which is like, man, these guys are really good. They're also really good in ways that do not always fit into my ethos of what I like from a basketball player at their specific positions right and 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 so that probably in doing some self-analysis right and some inward looking at myself because i think that that's always important for all of us to do is reflect on on our own biases and and our Mm -hmm. own very much so yep is that so that probably pushes me to be harder on a player like dennis or on a player like trez whereas i'm probably easier on a guy like Alex Caruso, because the ethos and. Or Danny Green, for example. Or Danny Green, for example. <laughs> oh my. <man>. God. <laughs> I wish I had the ability to screenshot some of this stuff. You guys are missing out. Maybe one day we'll push this to video, but you know, the glow up has to happen first, I suppose. But so look, what am I looking for from, from Dennis? Like, honestly, And all of this stuff is a part of his personality, the competitiveness and all of that. I love it. There is a certain brooding that I feel like I've been seeing from him, especially in like the losses that I, that personally, like I don't respond to well. And so I don't. And so again, I don't want to carry my own biases and put them into the team. Right. Because if that's not something I respond to, like, That doesn't matter. I'm not out there playing with Dennis Schroeder. So what does it matter if I respond well to that or not? But him and Trez really are the team's best players right now. They are the core scorers and they are the guys who need to sort of set the tone for the team in some ways on both sides of the ball. Right. And so when you talk about Dennis specifically, um, I just think he needs to continue to do what he's doing, play hard, make the right passes which i think is hit or miss sometimes he had some really good driving kicks last night pete he also had a couple of wtf passes where he's trying to beat the front or like a guy is playing three-quarter defense against the post player and it's like what kind of pass was that like where's the angle right and so there are things where it's just like i try to be patient because this team is not position to play to really a lot of their strengths right now. And that's going to cause them to look much worse than what they really are as individual basketball players, because they're not being put in positions to succeed based off of the slotting. Right. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Vogel. This is just like what, what it is. The guys are being asked to do too much and play outsized roles and someone has to do it. And so these guys are trying their best. Yeah. So,
3: Marcus Gasol, now that he's back, one of the good parts of this is that we get to talk to him and yes. he is smart, right? <laughs> We've gone over this before where to Mark, basketball is very simple and you can ask him an open ended question and he will explain exactly what the issues are. So, I asked him after the game, hey, what was your observation about this squad and how? how this thing can turn around without LeBron and AD and he immediately goes to defense and he said quote we have to be more consistent especially defensively once we set our defense when we communicate and everything is tied together our chances of getting stops are much much higher and that fuels our offense well yep (laughs) ding 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 there that's and guess what two of the people that do that and then also can execute it are, are of course LeBron and AD, but LeBron the most LeBron is the guy that keeps them organized defensively. That bark stuff out. Now Mark can do that too. And I think he'll do that more with LeBron out. AD can certainly do that as well, but that's what the, that was the difference to me in the third quarter, which was a mess and the fourth quarter, which was really good. The fourth quarter, you have to take a few brownie points away because that's what happens in the NBA. When a team goes yeah. up 18, you know, yeah. Philly, Eased off a little bit. They eased off the gas and that played into it. And there's always going to be a run. So I, it's not to take credit away, but you have to keep that in the, into some context, right? That there's usually going to be a run like that. That's part of human nature. But the third quarter was just Pete. It was sloppy turnover here, transition turnover there, uh, just not rotating out, missed assignments, not barking out who's going to get out to, to the, the two guys that are just killing you from three and Danny Green and, and Seth Curry, who after they hit their first two, at least they just, you just can't have them be that open. So those are the things that if they are what do, what Mark had described and Mark had said, then they can probably be fine. And that's going to be good. If they can do that, that's going to be good enough to beat Cleveland. It's going to be good enough to beat Orlando in these next two.
1: Coaching at a talent deficit is uh, is different than when you have a talent advantage. And what you have to emphasize to scratch out wins here and there are, are different. And what it comes down to is you have to be better at not beating yourself than the other team is, right? Like you have to make fewer unforced errors to use a, a tennis term. And so what that means is that your defensive rotations have to be crisp. Philly is a really good ball pressure team, and they're very physical uh, on the perimeter in particular, which positions them to make life difficult for a team without their two primary shot creators in LeBron and AD. And so some of the turnover issues that we faced against them were matchup related. But others, like you were saying, Mike, it's like, man, what you looking at? Like, I thought... Trez, for example, it's funny, he was bad for, he was bad for like two and three quarter quarters and then just like kicked ass to end the game. But I thought that, I thought Dwight got into his head or at least it not, it got him out of his game and uh he was able to recover that toward the end but he made a pass for example t- an attempted skip pass that was like right into the weak side guy's hands and we we had i think eight or nine turnovers in that third quarter that were reflective of unforced errors and that also extended to the defense event right and that to mark's point mark's quote is those are the types of mistakes we're like look if you rotate and Kuz closed out to to Danny in the corner on that dagger three that he hit. You live with that, right? Tip your cap. your cap. Tip your cap. Nice shot. What you can't have is no communication and then Markeith Morris and Kuzma both think they've got Tobias Harris, I think it was, in transition defense. And then they say, oh, you got him. Okay, and then they both walk away and then he strolls down the lane for an open dunk. That's an unforced error, right? You make the team beat you rather than beating yourself. And that's something, Darius, where I have been disappointed uh, in this particular group that that attention to detail um, on. And again, this is not these are not big asks. Right. Uh, And I have a certain degree of understanding that a team like Philly is going to turn us over a bit as a function of what they're good at versus what we're missing. But we're making last night was as frustrated as I've been. It was nice to see that fourth quarter, but I was as frustrated as I've been the whole year because we cannot afford the amount of unforced errors that we were making last night.
2: What I love about flow sports like basketball and soccer and hockey is how everything ties in together, right? And like the thing you do here impacts the thing that happens over there. And particularly the relationship for this Lakers team between defense flowing into good offense and bad offense flowing into bad defense for them. And the constant push and pull between those things, particularly with these shorthanded groups like the correlation between that stuff is so high and to speak to your point pete they the unforced errors on both sides of the ball are really making it so that this team is incapable of playing winning basketball it's not going to be possible for them to win games making the number of mistakes that they're currently making right now and just a quick thing part of that is because when well,
3: you can play like that if you have LeBron and AD. That's right. For the, right, for the first couple of quarters. And then, and then the fourth yeah. quarter comes, it's like, all right, but now you can't do that, right?
1: You don't but have then, the margin for error.
2: Yeah. Well, but so here's the thing though, guys, and this is why I am a process over results person because damn it, I didn't like the turnovers when Braun and AD were playing. I didn't like some of the stuff that they were doing when it was brought in AD. And when we talked about the schedule, like when we had the second half schedule podcast and you guys sort of asked me like, hey, what do you want to see over this stretch of games? I think my first response was like improved process, man, And, and, and like a recommitment to doing the little things well. Because those are the habits that you build over the course of the season in order to be able to play your best basketball when your best basketball is required of you. Right. And some people, some people, some individual people are able to turn that off and on. Right. And I'm talking great players and I'm talking players who are sort of not as great, but middle of the road. Like I thought Rondo Rondo's a great example. I thought Rondo, for example, was like a great example of him being able to lock in and focus during the highest stakes and higher pressure moments in the playoffs and be like this water. It feels just fine. Right. Like I'm comfortable in this and some guys dip their toe in those waters when it's time to turn it on and they're just like like give me the life jacket right because I'm not capable in those moments. And it goes back to the point you were talking about with KCP, the last pod, Pete, about like, look, man, some guys can't do it. They can't continue to play quote unquote their game as the game speeds up, as the stakes get higher, as the pressure moments and the level of basketball continues to go up and up and up. Some guys just aren't capable of doing that. And it takes reps and time for them to, to do it. But as team, so that's in, that's from the individual side, but as a group, Groups also build habits. Groups also establish a culture. They establish a way in which they're going to play. And their identity then becomes the thing that is going to carry them forward in the hardest moments. And that's what made last year's team special, guys, is that very early on in the season, that group decided this is what we are. We are a hard-nosed, smash-mouth, physical defense, physical offense team and we're not going to make a ton of mistakes i think i think last year they were in the top third third of the league in terms of turnovers committed right and we're going to take care of the basketball we're going to try to play defense without fouling but we're going to play physical so if we do foul you're going to feel it right and we're going to smash you over and over and over again and We're going to try to win that way. And they took on that identity from day one and they carried it through game six of the NBA finals. And then they celebrated. Right. And this group here, the habits that they've been building over the course of the season and this group right now, they're exhibiting those same habits. And so, Mike, when you tell me. Like, oh, well, when you got Braun and AD, you can dick around with the ball. A little bit. Well, guess what? I don't want to see that with Brad and Ad either, because I want them to sort of continue to reach and strive to be the best versions of of themselves. And so, cutting out some of that stuff matters to me. Like maybe I'm being a little bit too like Newt Rockney here, right? Like go get them and
3: whatever. Well, you no, you are, you are. But but that's but that's 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 the job, as I said when I first came on the LFR Pod. That's what you guys do. You speak as coaches almost and as basketball idealists. And of course that's right. And of course that's the way that Frank Vogel is going to emphasize things. That's what the players are going to say. I'm just acknowledging that you can't do that twice in a row when you're defending champs as the, as the hunted, you can't, but you can get close enough to still win the title. Right. And that's what they have to do. But you're, everything that you said is of course, right. I just think that we can use basically basketball history of any team that won the year before, and the human nature elements that come in to make that difficult. One thing that helps it though is the addition of new talent of players that haven't won before. Of some of that hung- uh, that some of that hungriness. and I do think that we have that. And it's I'm I'm glad you brought it up in the context of the current situation, though, because they this is the time where that they're no that now that like I asked this to Frank Vogel actually after the game in a in a different way. And I, I, I get the I apologize for jumping around here, but it's related. Stay with me. Can't, can't you play more like you did in the fourth quarter more often? Don't you have to given the current circumstances, right? That's basically the question. And I, that's the one thing that I wonder, and, and I, I don't want to be disappointed because I think again, it's, it's easier said than done, but this team has to scrap like that to get wins against good teams and will they, right? Will they, or will they kind of still think in the back of their minds, man, no fans in here yet. Still, still a long way to go. LeBron and AB are still out. Like, is there some of that malaise almost and that negativity, how much of that is creeping into this season, which hasn't been fun compared to a regular NBA season. So I think they're still battling that, but that, that fourth quarter, that's what they have to do. And and that is certainly what they have to do Friday night's nice game against week
1: There are a few factors at play here, right? There, um, we've talked extensively about the short turnaround. And so the first part of the season was less about like it's it's almost the opposite of the beginning of last season, right? Which began with a players only camp in Las Vegas and that uh the first extended offseason for LeBron, the first time he did not make the finals in like eight years. Right. And so there's a certain amount of we are renewed energy wise and we have Anthony Davis now. And now let's all come together and build this type of continuity that was just simply impossible under these circumstances. Then, of course, what Mike's saying about having won it, some of that work is already done. And there's more of a focus that's shifted toward recovery and toward health and Being physically capable of running the second marathon, not too long after you ran the first and completed it and and won. There's also an element which I think speaks to your point, Darius, about habits. Uh, We think of endurance as a physical thing, but it's also mental, right? And the idea of establishing habits. So if you look at where we are now in context of the first part of the season, on a team that's recovering that is in some ways practicing during games they are not in that mental place of locking in for 48 minutes and we saw and they had the talent to be able to how many games did we see where they did not play engaged basketball for the majority of the game but still got the win nobody knows that they need to lock in for 48 without LeBron and AD more than the players and, and Vogel and all those guys do. It's a very different thing to actually do it, to actually be able to focus. And, and and that's the thing that I think is probably one of the most misunderstood elements about basketball is what a mental game it is. The degree of mental engagement determines so much of the ultimate outcome of it. And if you were if you are tired, if you are not used to running that marathon, right? And you've you're you've been building up to that point, and all of a sudden, overnight, you have to go from playing thirty minutes of engaged basketball with LeBron in but AD out to forty eight minutes. How many of these games, Darius, have we seen? Lakers, most of the game are pretty good, but there's this one like eight or ten minute stretch that is awful, and we lose that stretch by like twenty. And that's basically what determines the game. It's one thing to say that you need to be able to lock in and, and, but in the absence of habits, right? Which I don't think the environment was capable of establishing those habits this year thus far. And I think that was the plan for the second half of the season and still is. And that's what I'm so curious about in this last say 15 games where we have both guys again, knock on wood is how many of those habits can be established in that short of a period of time that going mentally from that place to having to go a full 48 just to get a win is easier said than done. Yeah. It's tricky, man. Like
2: I watched the TNT feed of Mm -hmm. the game yesterday and they do the quarter interview breaks. Right. And lucky for Frank Vogel, he got, and I'm saying that sarcastically lucky for Frank Vogel. He got the interview in between the break between the third and the fourth quarter. <laughs> Where the Lakers, right? They they go into halftime right pride. after the
3: Shake Milton three. Yeah, yeah, right.
2: and so what an appropriate way to end that quarter, by the way. Yeah. And so now they're down by a ton. And Reggie Miller asks Vogel, I think a good question. He's like, "Look, you guys were playing well, and then in the third quarter, you, you, like the turnovers, they got to be driving you crazy." Right. And Vogel said something, Pete. He's like, I don't know if it's fatigue. It's the first thing he said. I don't know if it's because we're fatigued, but we are just not making good decisions with the ball right now. And the whole time you were talking about stamina and endurance and the mental energy the game takes, that's where. You see it. You see it in the mistakes. Your brain gets tired, and you make mistakes, right? It's not because you do not know. You do know. Your brain does know the right answer. It does. And know it's not because right you're not thing. trying,
1: right? It's not because right. you don't care. It's yeah. It, it, the idea of
2: I actually think that for the most part, the Lakers were playing hard. They just weren't playing smart.
3: Right. That's what that's what Vogel said. Because my my question was again relatively pointed by saying, and, and this is probably my bad for, for the way that I was viewing the third and the fourth and just immediately putting it towards effort. I do think those things are somewhat related, but from, a, from the coach's perspective, from Frank's perspective, it was, it was no, they, it, we weren't, it wasn't that we just weren't running. We were just playing dumb. And he didn't use that word. That's my word. And <laughs> yeah. I think that, the, I do think that the stuff with Dwight, like that's one of the reasons, that's why Dwight was doing it with Harold. And once, once Harold got into that mano, a mano, you know, manhood threatened mode, as many of us would, it's hard not to buy into that. And then that was, I've never seen Montrez make, he made two of those passes where he just threw it directly to the weak side defender. And that he just, at a certain point, then he finally snapped out of it and he still finishes. If you just look at his line, it's the same as always is eight for 13, 20 points, eight rebounds, you know, over 60%, like same as always he was one for four with three turnovers. Yeah. And I think finally, like, by the end of the quarter, yeah. At the end of the third quarter, he had like one or two more buckets. Yeah. But yeah. So he, he, he just started to eat at a certain point. And that's what he, that's the frustrating part too, about when Dwight got ejected Phillies, all of Philly's rim protection was gone. And this is a team with the best rim protection in the league because Embiid, And so Harold should have been eating all game in those actions. And it just wasn't happening. It wasn't going. And so it was, it was a frustrating one. What I, what I'm now trying to figure out and how much of this has to do with opponent strength as well, and what we're going to see against Cleveland in Orlando.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: This is an Orlando team who just sold the farm, who is going to be playing different rotations, new guys on the one hand that could get, you know, they could have an exciting all around effort game, sort of like an OKC squad. Right. But it's not a team that has more talent than this group of Lakers. And neither is Cleveland, um, even if they've got a couple of young, exciting guards. So I'm, I'm super curious to see the response to this. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, I assume you guys are too.
1: Yeah, let's take a quick break and talk about that, because I think these two games coming up with Cleveland and Orlando on Friday and Sunday are very important in the overall context of the season. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma, no purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So if you look beyond the cleveland and orlando games there's a pretty rough stretch of schedule coming up considering our the the available talent that we have guys i think these two games when we talk about scratching out wins or finding places these are two of our very best opportunities to get a couple right we are i think four games up on the sixth seed i think eight games up on the 11 seed so wild to be talking about this right but uh in terms of where do we fall in the standings i would very much like to stay in the top six um and and avoid a single game obviously if we were to have lebron and ad in a single game play in we would be the heavy favorites but putting it all down to one game we all know how that goes right that the 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 variation and fluctuation in that i want to see the lakers i want to see a team beat the lakers in a seven game series um these Cleveland and, and Orlando games, Darius, I think are immensely important. What do we need to do to be able to get get wins in these?
2: What do we need to do to beat two of the worst teams in the league? Bro, it's, we
1: are one of the worst teams in the league yes. right now.
2: Yes. Which, in the aftermath of LeBron's injury... I need to be missing their two best
3: players. Yes. One of the worst teams in the league.
2: I was just trying not right. to be like a sure. jerk about it when I wrote about it too, right? But it's just like, look, man, like when I was saying the Lakers are going to be bad, like... This is what I meant. It doesn't make it any easier. And I'm just as frustrated as you guys. Right. And you guys saw some colorful language from me last night in the group chat. And it had nothing to do with Pete's Danny Green's takes. I was already. I got got the venom from that, though. (laughs) I was already firing off the the takes about it. But look, man, like what like Cleveland, for example, even without Andre Drummond, They've, they've still got some good interior presence, some good interior size. They've got playmaking guards and aggressive guards. Right. And so what are the Lakers going to need to do? They're going to need to protect the paint. They're going to need to lock in defensively on the perimeter. They're going to have to make those, those defensive rotations and they're going to need to be sharp with that stuff right? Like they're going to need to understand when to go over and when to go under. They're going to need to communicate all of the winning stuff, man. Like the small stuff that goes into winning. And honestly too, man, like, look, I hate to say it, but stop shooting yourself in the foot with all the turnovers, make a few shots from three. I think that the variant stuff that we've been talking about, the, the Lakers haven't been shooting the ball as good as as I'd like, but it's just like, look, I think Keith is in a pretty good rhythm. I thought Koo started to find a good rhythm towards the end of the game. KCP, I, I like. I think KCP had a very good last game. I think Wes has been playing fairly well. I really love to see ThT and Schroeder really like have an efficient scoring nights and. Some of that too is just like, can either of those guys get one or two threes to fall, right? Like little individual things where it's just like shooting from the ball handler position has not been very good since Braun went out. Braun has really been carrying the team in that area the entire season. And it's no coincidence that the Lakers really started to struggle offensively more when Braun was not shooting the three ball as well because those off the dribble threes are sort of fairly important in order to help grease the wheels for an offense like the way that the Lakers run. And so, it'd be great if those guys could get it going from there as well because it makes the closeouts against them just a little bit more intense and then it really opens up their their driving lanes a little bit more. So like that's very game plan specific for Cleveland, but honestly, that's the level of attention to detail I think it's going to take to beat even a Cleveland or even a Magic team because you can't just roll the ball out now. The Lakers aren't talented enough.
3: Well, one thing, though, from a specific point of view about Cleveland, they can't shoot at all. They are the worst shooting team in the league, well worse than the Lakers, both in terms of attempts, makes, and percentage. They just don't have shooters. And so that's, that is a, it's different from Philly – where if you leave Curry or you leave green, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, And even to an extent, now he missed his first couple before hitting a couple, but like Mike Scott at the five, you know, they don't have that uh, coming in. There are a lot of guys there who, unless they have the night of their life, you know, you can leave and you want to leave because you want to focus more on the paint and not letting Sexton um, get into the middle of the lane. So that's the one, the one thing for Cleveland. And I think Orlando, it'll be the same. You know, they, they, we still, we don't know if Terrence Ross is going to play. He's about their only shooter left. Uh, Fournier is gone, Bucevic is gone, you know, even Gordon from the wing. But Darius, the point I wanted to come back to you about is looking for more efficient shooting nights, say from shooter or from THT. The hardest thing in the NBA on offense is to still be efficient when you are the first or second option. Yeah. And that's what stars are. And that's the whole point of why you get into these situations of the if you're not an elite really elite player it's so difficult i don't care what the nba defense is to go back against and that that's a challenge and you're right if they're able to do that then the lakers will be in pretty good shape to win but there's there's a a reason i think why they're struggling having one or two guys
2: find a way to be that efficient well i don't mean to and maybe this is gonna come come off harsh but earlier pete you had said you want to make over 20 million dollars a year right well Mike like yeah it is hard it, it is hard to maintain your efficiency it is hard being the number 1 or or the number 2 option it is hard to carry a team when your team is clearly not at their best but i can guarantee you if you want to make 21 22 23 billion dollars a year you want a 4 year 100 million dollar contract and you're a lead ball handler type in this league The asks of you get higher and higher. You can be, you know, six foot eight in a rangy forward with three-point range and be a guy who is a lockdown defender and you can get four years a hundred million dollars. But if you're gonna be a six foot one scoring guard and you want that type of contract, well, then go out there and kick everyone's ass offensively. Be a low turnover player, create shots for your teammates and score efficiently. Now. Dennis does that when he gets to the rim and I don't want to discount all of the good things that he does offensively because he is a very good offensive player but in terms of what can help the team even more I think is just like all right well can we get some of these threes to fall and the same is true for THT can we cut down the turnovers a little bit because if the Lakers are going to win games some of this is just going to have to be In some of the areas that are not your strengths, can you play above your head a little bit? And that's what I think the Lakers need from some of their best players right now who are remaining.
1: So I don't think that for me, I take the opposite approach of I don't want guys playing above their heads. I actually think that that's what leads to mistakes. I want a reduction of mistakes, right? Like those that is how you win these types of games at a talent deficit, not necessarily Cleveland and Orlando, although I do think Cleveland is more talented than we are uh, at this point. But uh you it's it's a matter of not shooting yourself in the foot. And a lot of times when guys feel like they have to absorb those greater responsibilities than they're they're used to, that's where those those mistakes happen right they take that shot coming off of the screen where normally it's like oh kick it back out to LeBron up top right like I got a little bit of airspace I'm gonna let it fly Kuz has done this a few times for example so it's for me it's more about reducing mistakes um it's also like like shooters not a great shooter and neither is THT and actually if if it's okay I would like to uh end on on THT I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because in the spirit of the you know, the trade deadline. He was one of those guys that was rumored to be the difference between a deal getting done and not. And there was a great deal of talk about like, do you really want to hold on to a guy like this for the chance to upgrade and go all in for a championship this season? With respect to THT, uh, I think we've seen based on reports and around the league and even the basketball people that I talked to, and this is my opinion as well, is that that was an absolutely not do not include him in in that deal um and i want to explain some of the reasons why at least from my perspective because it's not like he's going out there and dominating games right now i also think that what it comes down to is there is a um there's a linchpin to his game where once he develops this that a lot of things click into place and that is just a replacement level jump shot, right? Not even a, he doesn't have to be a 40% guy. He doesn't have to be coming off screens and pulling up like he's Damian Lillard. But what is remarkable about THT is that he has almost no semblance of a jumper, particularly a pull-up jumper. And everybody knows that he's going to drive to the rim. He also still gets to the rim four or five times a game, despite the fact that everyone knows exactly what he's going to do. And that is typically a sign in a young player of dominance. That thing, that that only thing that I can do, you can't stop it. And what now what happens is and the reason why he's not a better player right now is there is such an overload toward him driving to the basket, that some of those positions do get blocked or it is difficult for him to finish. He also doesn't know all of his kickouts, right? He's he's wild in terms of his drives to the basket. But Mike, he is so dominant at such a crucial part of the game of being able to attack the basket that I have faith that a, a wonderful Lakers player development staff is going to be able to take this kid that has ball handling ability, these massive hands, a seven one wingspan on a 230 frame, and be able to add a floater, add a pull up jump shot. At which that point, and these shots are so available because defenses are so geared towards stopping him from going to the basket that if he can make fairly simple shots, everything else clicks into place.
3: Well, Stan Van Gundy, of all people, this it just happened to be asked. Somebody asked him about THT before the game in his pregame availability. And he said in so many words, like, yeah, he's just at He's a jump shot away from being great, but he's, and we all, all like coaches around the league already have to account for him. And they're all thinking, well, okay, here's how we account for him. Try to make him shoot, play way off him, build a wall, you know, make sure that he, like, but stuff that there's not that many players in the NBA that you have to do that for. And the fact that a counter is available and it's not like he's got some broke stroke, right? His, like his mechanics aren't terrible, right? It's just more of a comfort thing and knowing when to take it and setting like, because when THT, first of all, he's 20 in a couple of years ago, he was a freshman at Iowa state. And when he got the ball, he could still just take it to the hoop against everybody. He didn't need, at that point, he didn't have to have a counter. He certainly didn't have to have it when he was playing high school ball in Chicago. And now he still doesn't, Half to have it at the nba level to be effective, but he's gonna be a lot more effective once he really develops that. So I'm totally with you, Pete. Um, I think everything there is fair, and I just hope you don't think you're getting out of this without a little Danny Green discussion because you said THT was
2: last.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> certainly not. No, no, we could do that. We could do that for sure. No, pete Pete tried to set us up, Mike. He tried to <laughs> yeah. set us up. Like, right, he was yeah, yeah, like, you know, I'd really to like look look to, I'd
2: really like to close on THT guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh. Uh the
3: beauty the beauty of the whole Danny Green thing too is that while we're having our probably fifth text debate on this he just keeps hitting 3 after 3 after 3 and, and so Mike
1: and Darius are getting further more like both pissed off at the game and pissed off at me for angering the basketball gods and yeah, exactly. Danny Green.
3: I, I said that I said yeah. that explicitly. I do believe in the basketball <laughs> gods I'm not a spiritual person I'm not a religious person but I do believe in the basketball gods and I think that as Pete is ripping well okay ripping is strong but not agreeing with the clear if Darius and I agree this strongly on something and I would say the same thing if Pete and I did it's probably true okay the outlier in the three of us just just in the three of us is probably wrong uh if if there's such a a big consensus now Pete you can certainly defend yourself and uh, I'm sure that you will but as Pete is is have is is right you know I can't tell if he's poking me or if he's poking Darius. But each comment that comes in, boom, another three. And then
1: finally, the one that beats the Lakers. I'm like, are you happy? Are you happy, Pete? (laughs) How about you guys state your position on Danny Green? So people have a a jump off. No, the people who are correct do
2: not have to prove their like. Like we don't have a hypothesis, Pete. You have a hypothesis. You prove. You prove your point,
1: right? I think. Well, what, have- what is my hypothesis that this is one thing that in these conversations I lo- that that I'd love I'm- to hear your position on 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 uh well on Danny Green. I mean, you have a lot of opinions on my position on Danny Green. For yeah, so I'd love to. Know so, I, so I'd love to. So I'd love for you to
2: synthesize those for us because maybe this is just one big understanding or misunderstanding,
1: I should say. That that's one thing I, I wonder as well. Now, Danny Green uh, has been Mike. You you got some. Well, I, if you, okay, I'll leave this to you, Pete.
3: If you want, I can do the sort of quick synopsis take about what I think and what Darius thinks is the standard, just acceptable, simple evaluation True. of Danny Please Green. Give. If you want uh, the, okay. So the, the standard acceptable to me definition of, of what Danny Green's value was, was that he was brought in by Rob Palenka, um as kind of the first move when he needed somebody to compliment two stars. This is a player who's going to knock down threes or close to 40% is going to defend big wings. Probably the most important job defensively in the league, aside from, you know, having a rim protector and he's going to be really good in the, in the help side. He's one of the best shot blocking guards since Dwayne Wade basically. And he's going to get his hand deflections and stuff. He's laterally. He's not quite what he used to be. He's going to get beat here and there, but he's going to hold up really well overall on defense. And he's going to be, he's going to be a plus he's going to be a plus player. Um, and the kind of 3D wing that every team in the league wants, that every team is going to want to have. And then he performed at that level. He shot almost 40% from three in the regular season. Uh, his net rating was always really good. In the postseason, he was in most closing lineups. There were some games where he missed open shots, but he was effective and his net rating in the postseason was the best in the entire NBA, aside from actually a beat Zubats because Portland's are Portland's because the clippers lineups when they went big were actually good and everything else was a disaster but nonetheless there i just didn't i didn't know there was a case aside from that and uh and little did i know that somebody whose basketball opinion i trust more than most didn't quite uh, want to go that far
1: so I think there are a couple of things there that are factually incorrect. He did not shoot almost 40% in the regular season. He shot 36.7%. That's,
3: that's like that's like five three pointers made. That's five that went in and out to 40%. It no, is, that's
1: that's about league average, is what it is in the NBA. It's and when to draw the
3: gravity that is required, there isn't a big difference between 36 and 40%. If that's the it's rimming out on five or six shots, he was getting defended.
1: So speaking to the point about gravity is Danny Green is a spot up shooter. He does not have gravity coming off of screens, which is the type of there's a 36 percent in which you're running your pin downs and your staggers. And you've got two guys jumping out to the shooter and then that creates opportunities rolling to the rim. Danny Green is not that type of shooter. Right um secondly he was not a big part of our closing lineups particularly in as we got deeper into the playoffs he played 19 minutes and 59 seconds in the fourth quarter in the finals over the course of six games and uh, a couple of those games were in blowouts he got some spot minutes in blowouts where they weren't competitive in the western conference finals he shot 32% from three, he shot 29.3% overall from the field. He shot sub 30% from the field in the finals. He shot 32.7% from the field, 28.9% from three. And so I've made the points, for example, about Kuzma. And I think that there are that Kuz and Danny Green are in similar places in their careers, uh, similar levels But one is on the upward arc of their career and one is on the downward arc. Danny Green is one of the great three and D players of all time. He is when you talk about the um, the shift of the league toward that type of player. He's one of the first players that come up. He's also getting older. And I don't believe that he is still the player that he once was from that respect. So when he's not a ball handler, he's not a passer. And when you have that type of player who you are relying on to n- knock down open shots, it becomes very valuable because he doesn't provide much else on the offensive end. Secondly, defensively, he was can being targeted in the, include
3: the 38% in round one and the 39% in round two and not just cherry pick the, the, the layup. What, layup but
1: sure. I mean, it's not a matter of cherry picking. It's, it's further to my point that well, after it, a certain point, your point, that's all, as opposed to the whole case. No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with Kyle Kuzma in that after the second round of the playoffs, the quality of basketball got too high and the quality of basketball got too high for Danny Green. He was one of the reasons why Duncan Robinson went off. He lost him a lot. He He was very much in his head in the last couple of series and to the point where it got so bad with Danny Green, his attempts over the last three games of the NBA finals increased because Spolstra decided we're just going to leave him open. We're going to let him shoot. So there's a a negative gravity to that. And when you combine that with his, he's, you know, he was being targeted in the Denver series by Jamal Murray. He's, uh, he's a brilliant help defender. He's a brilliant, he's got size. He's very good at applying back pressure. Danny Green was fine. And perhaps the misunderstanding is from where I sit, you guys view him as this, really high-end role player no 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 no
2: so me and mike could be separated here maybe on a couple of different things and i'm sorry to cut you off i think you made excellent points about danny green's decreasing level of play quality of play over the course of of the nba playoffs right and those numbers are factual they happened they're on Basketball Reference. You can find them and look them up. And Danny Green did hurt his hip in, in the Western Conference Finals. I think that that compromised him defensively and offensively. And yes, he's a streaky player. And I think he had an unfortunate time where his jump shot departed him in ways that were did not benefit the Lakers. 100%. I don't a think
3: any interjection areas. I swear. Please. Maybe the reason why his legs started to get tired is because he was the one player who had also gone to the finals the previous year who had been in the playoffs basically every year of his career and his miles were way, way up there. So did he tire some? Yes. Like, but I, I think there was a very sure. clear reason for that. And that doesn't mean that he, there wasn't a replacement to put on the floor that could still do all of the stuff that he did that was either available in the league or even on the Lakers bench. Cause at the time Kuzma wasn't able to play at that level defensively uh, with the starting group, you know, Caruso was obviously the answer to an extent in game six, but let me get back to Darius. I just want to make a point. Like there's a reason why his legs may have gotten tired uh, in the final. Absolutely.
2: The context of his performance, we can, we can, i'm fine contextualizing it in 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 order to explain it i think we do that a lot on on this pod i think it's great i think us as as a trio and listeners are better off for all the context that that we provide that said i don't care about the context when it when it comes to this danny green i talked about this earlier on the pod within the context of 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 last year's team why they were special and the idea of of from day one committing to doing something in order to build something out that is going to be successful in the end and i think mike when you talked about the lakers had literally zero players on their roster they had lebron james they they had anthony davis and they had kyle kuzma and everyone else was basically a free agent at that time right guys came back from the previous year's team JaVale Caruso Rondo but none of those guys were technically on the roster at that point even KCP right he was he was a free agent the first player they signed was Danny Green and Danny Green then became a foundational piece of I was at one of the first games the Lakers played during the preseason when they went up to chase in San Francisco, Mike, and it was, it was the opening of the chase center. I saw you there. And one of the things that stood out to me was that Danny Green's presence in the locker room was an actual presence. He wasn't LeBron. He wasn't Anthony Davis, but he was probably the next guy who had just won an NBA championship and was one of the respected voices in that room as someone who was going to help sort of just be one of the guys who knew Rondo was the next guy. And Danny wasn't even, no, 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 Pete, I'm telling you in that room, standing there, watching all those guys talk, I could tell you that Danny green was just someone who knew what it took in order to win. And he was, of course, of and course. that ideal that,
1: that the idea that he was the guy after LeBron and AD.
2: No, no, true. no. I'm talking about in terms of like yeah, winning he, and understanding
1: understand and, and a nitpick on Green for that. What is up with you and Green? No, I it, it, it's not a I'm not saying that he was like, it's here. the idea I'm that when the he talks about no, 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 no. He's talking about Darius is saying that he was a foundational piece, a foundational part of the locker room. And I just disagree. I think that there were guys that were. A good deal more important than him in that respect
2: well you're wrong anyways anyways that you're wrong okay let
3: me qualify that slightly i agree ronda was hugely important but i don't i don't think we need to denigrate danny who was right i think i'm trying
1: to denigrate danny but i don't think that we need to exalt him beyond his i'm talking about the fabric of the team is what what it
2: is and i think that danny green and his import from day 1 was important right could i agree could, could it have been someone else maybe but guess what it wasn't it was it was him and that matters to me and then all of the things that he did over the course of the regular season in order to help establish and entrench and and create the foundation of what the Lakers were going to be throughout the regular season and through the playoffs, that stuff matters too. And so was he necessarily on the floor at the time that the team had to cross the finish line? No, not, not all of the time. Those guys were typically Alex Caruso and, and KCP and, and, LeBron and AD and then the next guy sometimes that was Danny Green sometimes it was Markeith Morris sometimes it was Dwight Howard sometimes it was Rajon Rondo right and so it was sort of that fifth spot was sort of a revolving door of who was going to be the best guy to to match up my my sort of love and 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 appreciation for Danny Green is a tie-in to actually what makes a championship team a championship team. It's not, it's, it's, it's not oh, 32% on threes in the finals. It's oh, not just that. It is, totally the great. Com- it is the culmination of what starts on day one and your contributions to that over the course of time. This dude was part of something special something that we all appreciated and something that mattered to me. And, and I think mattered to everyone who listens to this pod on, on a regular basis. And I know mattered to you two and Mike with the rig that he was flashing on Instagram a few months ago. Like the reason why that ring exists is because of players, the players who were on that team. And I think that Danny Green was super important to the entire process that got The team to that final point and and saying that the stakes got like this his level of play decreased sure it did I don't care I just do not care he was and is a Lakers champion in what was the craziest season that I will ever remember really in recent memory for me and one that will last forever for me for in very specific ways. And when it comes right down to it, I'm just not going to be like, oh, yeah, well, well, he, he he was the third highest paid player or and he didn't play like it or he got blown by by this guy or Duncan Robinson got him there. I also remember Duncan Robinson being too big for KCP and them having to go back to Danny Green because it was just like, look, like we need you out there and he's hobbling around with this bad hip and not saying anything while getting death threats on Twitter and people saying stuff to, to his family, like this dude stood up for the organization. And I'm just going to be like, nah, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. And so sorry if I came on a little bit strong right there, but that's just where I am when, when it comes to Dan green, the, the level of play, everything else, it's all mixed into the tapestry of what was to me, a super important NBA season for the Lakers and they won the championship and there will be no slander on my watch.
3: Well, so Pete, I think this is the part for you to respond, but I, you're right, Darius, we are making two different cases and we happen to agree, I think on the bigger picture part of it, but I think Pete is well within uh, his rights or, or anybody to, to evaluate a player's performance in any context, Right. And you just laid out the more spiritual zoom out reason why he was an important part of the fabric. And, you know, like when you, when most, most fans don't have multiple title teams that they can look to for their guys. Like for me, any player that was on the Minnesota Twins in
1: 1987 or 1991
3: is a god, right? Okay. That's it. That's all we got. That's it. Um, In the Lakers context, I guess, man, what a, what a beauty it is for you to be able, you know, to do that some on this most current team, which is like the 10th of Pete's lifetime. Um, right. So I, there, the, there's a, a bit of context there. And while I agree with what you were saying, Darius, Pete, just to get back, I think you and our disagreement is more about the basketball part of it. And of course, as Darius said, I can't, I can't um, poke too many holes at the argument that he, his impact decreased but I know why it did. And it was not something that ever th- really threatened the Lakers to lose even a game or a series. Like I, if, cause if, if he missed a shot and uh, what, there was the game, right? What was it? Was it game five where he missed the shot? that could have won the series. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So that, that would have been great, but then they just had to come out in game six and blow the doors off the heat with their defense. And he was a part of that. So like they, it could have been, if Danny green was at his peak, uh, they could have swept a couple more teams, I guess, but you could say that about almost anybody except for LeBron or AD who were untouchable.
2: Mike, can I just say too, that there's, there's an entanglement to me when it comes to the basketball performance, like on the court in that specific moment and all that you've done in order to get yourself in the position where, where the team is where they are yeah, in the front I agree. Yeah. Right. With, and, yep. and so I can, I can, I can look at a tough shooting night or two rough shooting nights or four rough shooting nights and place them into the context of the bigger importance, to me at least, of how much or of how valuable it is to me that this team needed all of the good things that this guy brought to the table, all the production all of the good to high level play depending on the night they needed all of that in order to get to the place where they are now because of to me the somewhat fragile nature of all these interpersonal relationships that make up a group team sport and in order to reach the mountaintop the togetherness that you need to have in in order to do that and i don't I just have a hard time separating all of that spiritual, maybe mumbo jumbo, to a lot of people, part from the production part because all of that stuff goes goes hand in hand to me. That's fair.
1: So you're right. I I have, and Darius has as well, experienced a lot of uh, championship runs over the course of our lifetime where we watched every single game. Um, And you know why we won the 2020 NBA title is because. LeBron and AD had two of the best playoff runs in the same playoff run of and what tends to happen. And what I've seen over the course of other championship teams is a lot of role players get exalted as a result of being a part of that. And Darius, everything that that you said, like, I didn't disagree with anything that you said, like, Danny Green is a champion. This is not his first team that he's been a part of. And there's a certain amount of being an adult. There's a certain amount of competing through adversity. There's a certain amount of knowing what you're doing and know how that like Danny Green very rarely, although I thought he got on his head uh, in, in the later parts of the playoffs, which happens, She's right? Tired. He was he was tired. There's also like you getting death threats right after game five. I get all of that. Danny Green was Danny Green was part of a championship team and Danny Green played an important role on a championship team. I also think that in the context of two superstars having historic runs that there were a lot of players around the league that could have been a part of that championship team. And that Danny Green as one of the great 3 and D guys of all time isn't quite that level of player anymore and wasn't during that run and there are all sorts of reasons for that and that I like Danny Green was Part of a championship team. Like I said, I agree with all of that. And maybe I'm misunderstanding the level of exaltation that that you guys are are giving him. But from my perspective, you want me to view him as this crucial piece of last season. And I don't view him that way. I think that he that there were a lot of guys who could have filled that role, as was the case with a lot of the guys on the Kobe and Shaq teams, a lot of the guys on the Magic and Kareem teams, and all of that. So that said, that doesn't mean that. Danny Green's crap like that doesn't mean that he wasn't part of the team and and played a role that was important I just I think that we have differing uh opinions of the degree
3: will, so yeah we definitely have we, we definitely still are agreeing to disagree right because we this is not the first time we've had this discussion and it doesn't sound like we're really pulling each other in either of the directions I the tiny the last pushback that I will do here um just for sake of time I don't think that The replacement level that you're speaking of for a big three and D wing uh, that can defend the best player, that can I don't think that was there. I don't think they could have gotten elsewhere. There's a reason why he got paid what he did, and there was not anybody else that could have just slid in and did that. And guess what? The teams that they beat. Do you think Denver could have used a three and D wing? You think Portland could have used a three and D wing? How about Houston? Um, Miami had one. And Jimmy Butler, and that was it. It wasn't enough, and he was a he was a big key part of that. That wasn't just there and available. And the fact that his shooting went down and, and he struggled a little bit, like I don't think changes that. So that that would be my bottom line.
1: And that's fair. And I don't think that when I think of somebody else who could have filled his spot, for example, the replacement kind of player. I'm not talking about necessarily a big three and D guy that could have been somebody who could handle the ball a little bit better or somebody who is maybe a better point of attack guy. In fact, the type of player that he was traded for in the offseason is a very different type of player than Danny, but I do think is capable of filling that type of role. We will see. And hopefully he, he does. But I, when I talk about that replacement, I'm not necessarily saying somebody who fits Danny's archetype. Dee, you got any uh, last thoughts on, on Danny?
2: No, just the idea and I think that this is just a more general a more general point about role players and the sort of appreciation and exaltation potentially that we can have for role players who who do help win championships. Because and those guys do have a special place in my heart because I've heard lots of NBA super duper stars, the LeBrons, the Kobe's, the Shaqs of the world that look at those role players and, and understand that the team doesn't work without those guys that, Mm -hmm. that you can't just say, we'll grab any one of these guys off the street and any of those guys could play with us. Like there is, and this is where the more, Like my my understanding of like team building and roster construction and personalities and how it all blends. And there's a reason why there is only one champion at the end of the season. And sometimes that is just overwhelming talent. But other times it is like, oh, some of these guys were sort of close ish. And what puts you over the top are some of the intangibles that you don't always associate with superstar players, although they do bring those things, but that the role players often bring because that's their job to bring that stuff every single day and to be the rocks and 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 the steady presence in in a locker room through all the ups and downs. And I think that when we look back fondly on the Rick Foxes and the Robert Orys and the Derek Fishers and the Michael Coopers and the Kurt Rambises and the A.C. Greens of the world that we've experienced, that Danny Green and... Alex Caruso and KCP to Right, like if these guys are lucky enough to win two or three championships, they too will fall into that sort of same lore for me sure. because it sure. takes, it takes a special group of people to achieve at the level that we're talking about. And I don't want to discount any of them at any time. Pete, this is not about, this is not to you. Okay. If,
3: if that three had gone down in game five, it would, you know, I think that would have had a whole different meaning and change sort of his value. Right. And it would, he would have all of a sudden been exalted. And that's the make or miss part of the league that can be fortunate at times can be unfortunate at times, but I just don't want that part of it. Right. And that's what I, I guess that was my point between 36% and 40% and some of the make or miss, like, as long as it's in the threshold, you're good with me. As long as you're enough of a threat, you're good with me. My last request Pete, to you is if the Lakers play the Sixers in the finals and I don't, that's not what I'm predicting. I, I picked Brooklyn to get in. I think Miami is going to be uh, interesting again with their additions. Uh, I, I don't think you can it, dismiss Milwaukee completely out of hand, but again, picking Brooklyn. But if that happens and, oh, what's up, Briggs? And in our text thread, um, you come back again and, and we have this debate again. I, the basketball gods will punish again. So I, I just, I request that, that 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 doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. What if I said that's so flagrant about Danny Green? oh it's come the on tone.
3: another joke there
1: <laughs> it's the tone it's the tone what's the tone
2: over text the same the same tone that this voice is right here
1: this voice defensive
2: a little bit of just i'm right about this and i think we all Especially
1: Bro, you group. called. Especially you called me disingenuous like three times. That's less. true. Like, For I, the you record, guys are the ones. You real. guys are the ones. I did not call you. No, no, speaker. not you, Mike. No, I no, did. No, you did not you did I not did. but you guys said, are you guys are super convinced that you're right about i this said sure. way I, more
3: about this. I, I can cop to having the same tone i can cop to having the same tone
2: generally so I, and i, I <laughs> gonna say that we all have that i think we all have that same tone we do. when when we think we're yeah, right so to and agree. to be fair i wasn't calling you disingenuous overall i said it's disingenuous to not acknowledge that the foundation that you install from the very beginning and how that plays a part in what you do at the end. And, and to then say that, Oh, well, like he shot this. And that's why I think that, that it's disingenuous to not add it all up rather than just to point at this one thing and then say like, Oh, well this matters.
1: So if, if you it, guys, it all if you notice you all matters. Y- Y'all motherfuckers are writing me paragraphs. I'm like, I'm texting you back like one sentence answers. Cause I'm working the, I don't have time during the game to oh, give hey, oh, my, hey, my full,
3: I may, I may or may not have also been working
1: during the game. You,
3: I you may were, or may you not, were. have been, yes. Yeah, so, so, okay. So just,
1: but no, but, but it's a different role. I'm clipping, I'm clipping video. I'm editing while the, the game's going on. Right. Like through much of this, like I don't have speaking, time to have a, I'm speaking on the broadcast. You, you are, but you yes. got gaps. you know oh. not on the, on the whole time. You got more time oh, than good. I do all to right. write me a paragraph oh, about bad. how Danny Green played all the important minutes. This is what happened. You say Danny Green played all the key minutes. See? And I said, I, I know he, he didn't play, you did, you did, you did. You said Danny Green played all of the key minutes on the last, on three title teams. And I said, he didn't play all the key minutes. Oh, he played most. And then Darius shoots back with all this, you're being disingenuous. I'm like, that's factually incorrect. <laughs> I'm, he Wait. played 20 minutes in the fourth quarter in the finals. Regardless, this is a
3: great
1: paragraph.
2: I can type paragraphs because I'm texting through my computer. Just Me so too. it's clear, I,
1: I'm I'm not doing it with with my so, phones. Right. But when you say, if you want to talk about context, mm-hmm. when you say that I'm not giving some full answer to to your missive about why Danny Green is missive. is see? yeah. Tone, tone It is. This it, is the tone I'm talking about. Mo I see the text box on my phone right now. Ed, it's I like that meme right where it's, it's like I read
2: yeah. all that. Either congratulations for all yeah, the I'm or, that fans, or to you. sorry that happened. Sorry that happened. Yeah,
3: exactly. I, I'm not using the word disingenuous, but the the fourth quarter minutes thing, you are using again the the last two series in which, like, which we already covered the reasons why that may have happened. I my point was he was generally speaking a closing player on the Lakers this season, and some he of that more, he was that, that one was of. What the, I was saying he, he was, was one more, of like seven or eight more, minutes. more often than not. It was, it was him. It was the starters, more often than not, it, with minus JaVale and insert either Caruso or Kuz or whoever. But he was the staple of that group as the 3 and D wing defender. That, that that was my point by saying all or most. But you're right. In certain series, yes, he played a little bit less, if especially if he was struggling from the field that night.
2: His role did evolve as the season went on to where, as the trust grew in Caruso and KCP, Frank would go away from Danny more late late in games. But in the early part, all the way up until the bubble, I feel like Danny was it was LeBron, AD and it was Danny. And it was really like, who are the other guys going to be around those three guys. And so it really was both ways. It did go both ways.
1: All right, we got to end this Jeannie's gonna kill us. Oh, man, she's uh, gonna lop off this whole section. she Uh, She should. Jeannie, you're saying thank you. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed us uh, arguing more than normal. <laughs> I, I, I'm a dad are fighting. Not the I'm end a of the dad fighting. I, I that's hope. right. <laughs> <If> <laughs> I'm we rooting could, for that Lakers-Philly finals. We need that. So
2: um, if, if the Lakers show as much fight, tonight against the Cavs as we just showed in this last segment of the pod I think they're going to be fine I think they're going to be all
3: of our all of our brains are breaking because there isn't usually something that we even disagree on that much it's oh. more just like pointing out the nuance and pulling out the finer point and then pushing it that much and i still don't know the, uh, all right I, i'm just gonna stop talking get us, get us no on. no keep going keep going keep going no that's it that's it it's it's that's it i'm done
1: you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time James has got it in low to McHale.
2: mikhail wants to turn double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy Tip the magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores There's magic got it magic fires it's good Three seconds left. Van Exel the winner. It. It's on the right way. Bryant, 48
3: points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this.
0: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you
3: kidding me, Kobe? Hard to believe, Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked
1: up by Bell. There's, There's the goal. move. Two, going. one. Miss it.
0: Unbelievable. It's <laughs> the record. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah.